Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Piers Morgan. Uncensored tonight, Labour's Diane Abbott is suspended for incendiary claims that Jews, gypsies and travellers haven't experienced real racism. Was she flat wrong to argue that racism is, well, quite literally, a black and white issue? We'll debate. And Harry and Meghan blame the media, of course, and who else, for creating an exhausting circus by dwelling on past events. This is after the pair of them have spent the last three years whipping up an exhausting circus by whining repeatedly about past events. Is this, even by their standards, their most hypocritical statement yet? And Netflix faces a fan backlash for casting a black Cleopatra. But after scandals about straight actors playing gay roles, able-bodied men playing disabled characters, and Americans playing Persians, should we care? Or is this actually the whole point of acting? Live from the News Building in London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Barry Humphreys was a lifelong antidote to the sensitivity and scandal that now dominate our culture. For more than 50 years, he roasted, regaled and enraptured audiences in the UK, America and his native Australia. Quite simply, he was a comedy legend. a better seat. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry, Mike. What is it? I've got in my hands. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ointment I'm supposed to use. <laughs> I, was, I was just giving myself a quick application before the show. You're a man who speaks his mind. A man well, who refuses to learn from his mistakes. That's a lovely attribute. <laughs> <laughs> You have to wonder if the characters he played with such affection and comic mastery for half a century would survive even a single night on air today. This was a straight white man who performed in drag to satirise snobbery and suburbia. As Dame Edna, he was merciless. No cultural trope and no celebrity excess was ever off limits. As Celeste Patterson, the lecherous Aussie cliché, he was misogynist, racist, homophobic and about everything else in between. Yes, he was shocking and offensive, but that is precisely what he was mocking, and his audiences were always in on the joke. Last time I saw Barry Humphreys was a few years ago at a star-studded lunch in London. His guests included Liz Hurley, Tracy Emin, Jimmy Carr, Nigella Lawson, all of whom were in regular fits of laughter. I asked him then if he'd had to tone down his stage act to appease the sensitivity brigade. No, he roared. 
Les Patterson is the last offensive man standing. I can get away with anything as long as it comes out of his mouth or out of Edna's. And he was right. Barry Humphreys had a unique ability to mock his own characters, mock himself, and to mock the world around him all at the same time. More than once, he turned on me. You inspire strong reactions, as I do. I quite like that. <laughs> he didn't have to say anything else, sadly. Uh, but no malice, just mischief and joy of a good jape. And by having the gall to offend everything and everyone with his self-reverential wit, he made us ask questions about ourselves and our society that otherwise wouldn't have been asked. He'll be greatly missed, and so too will Len Goodman, another straight-talking icon that we sadly lost today. Like Barry Humphreys, Goodman fizzed with charisma and with fun and with plain speaking. He had that special, you-can't-say-that sparkle, which he exhibited perfectly during the late Queen's Platinum Jubilee. My wife did coronation chicken yesterday for our tea, and it, uh, I've never had it before. Really? No, I've never had, you know, curry and curry powder. No. My nan used to call it all foreign muck. So, <laughs> you know, I was always worried about it. But I must say, it was delicious. All hell broke loose after he said that. There were calls for him to be cancelled for being a racist. But if you actually listen carefully to what he was saying, he was talking about what his nan, in the early part of last century, used to say about things like curry powder not what he personally now thinks. And that's where we are in society. People don't listen. They don't care. They just want to rush to judgment and cancel. As a master ballroom dancer and judge, Goodman also exhibited remarkable patience and politeness when he tried to make a dancer of the impossible. You want the hold? <laughs> yes, the hold, please. No, there's five points of contact. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Just yeah. to start moving, Len, and we'll worry about the camera <laughs> angles later. <laughs> Little turn. I yeah. think Piers You're is natural. teaching you. No, you are a natural. I am the new Ed Balls. Oh, I'm brilliant. coming to the Strictly dance floor. <laughs> oh, good to see you. He was famous for saying, you're a seven. He was a ten. And in Goodman and Humphreys, we've lost two great performers whose legacy should be that we should all try to be a little bit more like them. Risky, funny, honest to a fault, and allergic to all things woke. There are lots of humorless people in today's world who see offence and outrage where we used to see wit and wisdom. I launched this show about a year ago today, actually, or it's tomorrow, with a clip from another dearly departed legend who summed this up better than anybody, the Australian cricket genius Shane Warne. In this politically correct day and age, we've just got to be a little bit careful, but sometimes just say get stuff to the fun police. Exactly. So to mark uh, the first anniversary of Piers Morgan Uncensored and Talk TV... And to pay tribute to these departing legends, I'll say it one more time. Fun police, just get stuffed. We'll be talking more about Barry Humphreys a little later, including Dame Edna's prescient words on the royal family in an extraordinary interview with me at William's wedding. But first, the Labour MP Diane Abbott's political future is hanging by a thread after comments she made in the Observer newspaper. She suggested that Jewish people, along with gypsies, Irish people and travellers, don't suffer the same racism. 
They undoubtedly experience prejudice, she wrote. This is similar to racism, and the two words are often used as if they are interchangeable. It's true of many types of white people with points of difference, such as redheads can experience this prejudice, but they are not all their lives subject to racism. In pre-civil rights America, Irish people, Jewish people and travellers were not required to sit at the back of the bus. In apartheid South Africa, these groups were allowed to vote, and at the height of slavery, there were no white-seeming people manacled on the slave ships. Well, Diane Abbott issued an apology for this extraordinary rant, with the ridiculous excuse that the remarks were from an initial draft, which she has so far failed to produce and which nobody believes actually exists. Why would you send an initial draft to a national newspaper for publication as a letter? Labour leader Sakir Starmer has suspended her for anti-Semitism. Well, joining me now is the journalist whose article Diane Abbott was responding to, uh, Tomiwa Omolade, along with Black Lives Matter activist Iman Ayton and former Labour MP Chris Williamson. Well, welcome to all of you. Um, all right, let me start with you, Tomiwa. An extraordinary chain of events. You write a piece for The Observer mm. and you make an argument that racism in all its guises is racism. Mm. Seems a pretty straightforward argument to me. And Diane Abbott, who, to be fair to her, has been subjected to a lot of racism, particularly from social media, uh, for being a, a black female MP. But then she writes this letter, and the letter is not just tone deaf. In my estimation, when I first read it, I thought this must be a parody, mm. someone trying to deliberately mock her. Mm. It wasn't. It was genuinely what she believes, that somehow you can't be subjected to the same kind of racism as a black person if you're Jewish mm. or if you're Irish mm. or if you're a gypsy. She didn't explain how, well, what if you're a black Jew, of which there are a number of black Jews. Mm. Take me back to when you wrote the original piece. Did you ever imagine that someone like Diane Abbott would come forward and say this? Definitely not. Um, and I think it's worth emphasising that it's not just the case of Diane Abbott not imagining um, Jewish people being subject to the same kind of racism as black people. It's the case of her arguing that Jewish people can't be subject to racism at all. Mm. Um, they can only be subject to prejudice, as she describes. As if you have red hair. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean unbelievably crass analogy. Extremely offensive. Um, and many people rightly pointed out the example of the Holocaust, which, is, which was one of the greatest uh, acts of racial atrocities in the past century. Um, and, yeah, so she subscribes to a very um, strange but increasingly popular definition of racism, which only looks at racism in terms of what she would call prejudice and power. Um, so certain... Um, minority groups can't be victims of racism because they're not subject, um, th they can't be discriminated against, basically, which is completely patently false. Um, when did you know about the letter? Um, I, I discovered the letter um, about um, 11 a.m. Um, yesterday. Yeah. Quite extraordinary. Okay, well, let's go to Chris Williamson. So, Chris Williamson, uh, you were an MP, you had to leave an MP over the whole. Uh, ongoing saga under Jeremy Corbyn of this issue of how the Labour Party deals with anti-Semitism. But today you were defending Diane Abbott. Why? Well, Piers, in your opening remarks, you described her letter as an extraordinary rant. It was anything but an extraordinary rant. I mean, she was merely stating a fact. I mean, the truth is that uh, Jewish people in this country don't experience racism by and large. And certainly not to the same extent as, uh, as black Muslims and uh, uh, people from Afri uh, you know, African-Caribbean uh, uh, community. 
Um, and as you said in her letter that you quoted from, I mean, she talked about the way in which, you know, black people obviously were subjected to apartheid in, in South Africa, and that didn't apply in the same way to uh, Jewish uh, uh, people or, or people from other backgrounds if, if they didn't have black skin or pigment <coughs> to their skin. So I think what she was saying was really stating, uh, you know, an obvious fact, and it, it's been taken out uh, or blown out of all proportion. There's 120, a letter, 126 wor words long, and it's been blown out of all proportion by the usual suspects, exactly the same characters that came after me, that came after Jeremy Corbyn, that weaponized anti-Semitism. And, you, you know, you talked about, you know, there could be black Jews, and you're absolutely right, there are. Uh, one of the most prominent black Jewish members of the Labour Party was Jackie Walker. She was the vice chair of Momentum. She was accused of anti-Semitism extraordinarily and was suspended and then expelled. We had children of Holocaust survivors who were members of the Labour Party who were accused of anti-Semitism, bringing the party into disrepute and were expelled. And indeed, the Jewish Voice for Labour have done some number crunching and they've calculated that you're considerably more likely now as a Jewish member of the Labour Party to be suspended or expelled than you are if you come from uh, another back, uh, any other background, as it were. So, you know, this is nothing to do in reality with anti-Semitism. This is all about uh, trying to protect criticism uh, or to, to prevent criticism of, uh, of Israel get, gaining any, any traction. All right, why, and what they're why doing is conflating okay, anti-Zionism right, with, with anti-Semitism. I've let you answer at length. Why, in that case, has Diane Abbott unreservedly withdrawn her remarks and disassociated herself from those remarks? Well, obviously you'd have to ask Diane, uh, but I suspect it's because she's trying to save her parliamentary career. People are running scared. The worst thing you can do is to apologise, particularly to bad faith actors. I mean, there's nothing to do with... I mean, they're not really concerned about, uh, you know, anti-Semitism, and the truth is what they want to do is to destroy the last semblance of any support for the kind of socialist ideals and anti-imperialist uh, uh, ideals that Jeremy Corbyn uh, represented when he was a leader of the Labour Party. And let's well, remember, Corbyn, you know, the policies remind, of Jeremy look, Corbyn put you, forward Jeremy were very, Corbyn, very popular. Jeremy Corbyn was suspended from the Labour Party after an investigation into anti-Semitism within the party under his yeah. leadership, right? And this yeah, included... This, well, hang on, peers. hang on, hang on. This included yeah, a former Labour MP, Luciana Berger, who yeah. described constant and violent anti-Semitic abuse. That, she said Corbyn supporters... Well, I'm called, sorry. That, well, hang on, no, you'll let me finish. Yeah. Called me Judas, a zeo-Nazi, an absolute parasite, told me to get out of the country and go back to Israel. Labour's John Mann said his wife had been threatened with rape by a left-wing anti-Semite... Corbyn lost Labour whip so after saying I, the investigation was dramatically overstated. But that's not what other people think. And frankly, yeah. when you are prepared to literally sit here now and defend Diane mm. Abbott saying Jewish people, along with travellers and Irish people, were not required to sit at the back of the bus, given that we know six million Jewish people were murdered in the Holocaust, including millions who were forced to sit Piers, literally that, that... in the back of buses and taken to their mm. death in gas chambers. If you yeah. can't understand why... Well, I've just pointed why, out... But if you can't understand Piers, why that is not incredibly just, offensive to Jewish Piers, people, there's no. something wrong with you. No, I'm sorry, there's something wrong with you, Piers, if we're going to get personal, when you're trying to sort of conflate uh, what Diane Abbott said with, with some sort of Holocaust denial. It's, a, it's an absurdity. And just, look, let me take you back to what I said. Children of Holocaust survivors were accused... of Labour Party members were accused of anti-Semitism 
and thrown out of the Labour Party. People like Luciana Berger, they, these are right-wing neoliberals, and they're not... And Zionists as well, let's also remember that. Um, same with uh, John Mann. You know, he's, he's an out-and-out -out Zionist, and they are weaponizing anti-Semitism shamelessly in order to try to, you know, destroy that kind of anti-Britishist project. But they're not, are they? Look, and the reason that... Shall I, shall I, just let me just make on. this point. Hang on. Piers, but there's just this one important quote. It's really important you hear this one. Shilama Aloni, a former cabinet member in the Israeli government, was on Democracy Now! 21 years ago, actually, and she was asked about this issue of anti-Semitism, and she said, these were her words, it's a trick, and we always use it. And they use it, she said, in order to deflect criticism of Israel. And this is what this is all about. It's right. nothing to do with concern about anti-Semitism. Well, people like Tony Greenstein, problem, son of a rabbi, says okay, that Jewish enough. people in this country do not, do not experience actually, prejudice many, or racism. Actually, That's many, a fact. many, many Jewish people have stated who live in this country that they've experienced racism. And what Diane Abbott's letter did was it said that what Jewish people go through is never racism, it's a form of prejudice, as if you have red hair. That is a disgusting thing to have said about a group of people... Well, you say... You six say. million of whom lost their lives in a Holocaust... Oh, come on. ..purely because of their, but look, of their ethnicity This is nothing Jewish to do people. with... Look, Diane Abbott's record is second to none in standing up to, to racism. In the same way that... She doesn't you know, know what Jeremy racism Paul, is. Matter, Ken Livingston. She has no idea what racism Ken actually Livingston, is. Ken Livingston, in fact, Ken Livingston... Uh, 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 well, hold on a minute. I think somebody like Diane Abbott actually has got more idea about, uh, about no, racism. No, she thinks you can only experience yeah, racism if you're a black person. That's not true. It's palpably not true. Well, no, no, no. Well, no, hold on a minute. If you actually what look she at said. what she said, she talked about bigotry and prejudice. People, pe people can experience prejudice. But racism is a different thing. I think she does make a valid point. So you it don't think Jewish people, people have been subjected you know, to racism, just to clarify? Well, I think people, Jewish people have certainly been, been uh, in, in the past, been subjected to racism and, and certainly have been subjected to, uh, to bigotry and prejudice. There's no doubt about that. But that isn't the case today. And indeed, look, you know, I've spoken to a, a rabbi today, in fact, who's doing a tour of this country, just flown in from the United States of America. And, uh, you know, he's very, very critical, as many Orthodox Jews are actually of Zionism and... Uh, he said all religious Jews actually oppose uh, the uh, formation of, of Israel. Uh, and yeah, okay, listen, I don't want to get into that argument. I'm just about the weaponization of, of anti-Semitism. It's not the weaponization of anti-Semitism. It is the existence of anti-Semitism. And when people like Diane Abbott, notwithstanding her own racism experience, when they deny Jewish people in particular, but also Irish people and travellers, all groups of whom have been subjected to appalling racism, uh, in the last hundred years. When you say that no Jewish people get racism today, that is just not only a barefaced lie, well, because we know they do, we know the rise of anti-Semitic attacks uh, in both the UK and America is real. So you're denying well, these the people... Then, you're denying please? these people what are the statistics, actual please? racism. What are the and what you don't seem to understand which, is, which by doing that, by downgrading what Jewish people go through, that actually makes you anti-Semitic. But Jewish... But, hold on a minute. The, what are Jewish people going through in this country, in reality? Why don't you ask them? I mean, what... what 
Well, I do. I speak to many, many Jewish people. I've just told you, I'm speaking to a rabbi. I speak to ten people like Tony Greenstein, Jackie Walker, Cyril Chilson, the son of a the son of Holocaust survivors. Two, his mother and father survived Auschwitz, and he was thrown out of the Labour Party, accused of anti-Semitism. All right, let me bring in. Clearly, nothing to do with anti-Semitism. Actually, it's got everything to do with whatsoever to do with it. It's about denying the fact that Jewish people are subjected to racism. Let me bring in Iman. You've been waiting patiently. Iman, look. I read that letter and I was horrified by what Diane Abbott wrote because there shouldn't be a, a competition for who gets the highest grade of racism. Racism is racism is racism. That's it. And Jewish people are subjected today to racism and to anti-Semitic attacks. We know this. So when people who have literally recently been members of our parliament deny that, and when people like Diane Abbott, who've been shadow cabinet ministers, for goodness sake, when they talk in this language, if you're Jewish or if you're Irish or a traveller and you've been subjected to proper racism with very dangerous consequences on occasion, you find this sickening. You think, how could this be happening in my country? OK, so I think... Well, not I think. Her statement was inaccurate, ill-informed, ill-advised. Um, it was an ill-conceived, clumsy attempt to explain the nuances and complexities of prejudice and racism. So where did she go wrong when she spoke about prejudice versus racism and, of course, when she alienated everyone in the process? So let's just be clear, what is prejudice? Prejudice is a preconceived thought. Everyone has it, it's unavoidable, and it's also the foundation of every form of discrimination you can think of, including racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia and anti-Semitism. What is racism? It is the manifestation of your racial prejudice, and that could be towards uh, an ethnic group, or racial group, which includes Roma, Gypsy, Travellers, etc. And how does all of this manifest? It manifests itself overtly, which is racial prejudice. That is obvious, deliberate and direct. It manifests itself covertly, which is racial prejudice that is subtle and discreet. It manifests itself institutionally, which you're the using of the prejudice. phrase... Hold on a second, let me yeah. get there, please. Okay. Institutionally, and last but not least, global racism. So I actually am trying to tell you that that is the point I believe she was trying to make. I believe she was trying... But she didn't make that hold point. Hold on a second. I told you she made it clumsily. I think she what she was clumsily. trying to... She didn't make that point. No, she, you're she giving her... No, no, you're no. giving her a no, pass and a way out let of something she never said. No, 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 let me finish. Let me finish. You, you spoke about the things that she referred to in terms of the ships, etc. What I'm talking about is the, uh, the racist system of global oppression and exploitation of black people. That's ultimately what I think she was trying to get to, and that differs to the everyday experiences of discrimination. She clumsily right. tried to make that point and didn't make it. Let me she bring some of our back. You've heard varying degrees of defence for this. What do you make of it? Um, I think it's still indefensible. Mm. Um, and she, she was quite plain as well in what she said. Yeah, it wasn't I ambiguous. Think, yeah, yeah, there, there was very little room. I've seen people really working hard to try yeah. and give her a way yeah. out. She was inaccurate. She must have meant this. Or must have, I think she knew she exactly inaccurate. what she was writing. It's a letter mm. to a newspaper mm. editor mm. for publication. Mm. You know, you get every syllable right. I don't mm. believe all this initial mm. draft mm. nonsense. Mm. It's yeah. a lie. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a sort of throwaway tweet no. or a Facebook comment. It was a letter intended for public as well. Um, so I... I well, you've I, heard someone who was a Labour MP until very recently mm. just state as a fact mm. that no Jewish people are subjected mm. to any ongoing racism mm. whatsoever. Mm. That is a demonstrable lie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a demonstrable because lie. she was inaccurate. That's the point. She confused... No, no, I'm not talking about Diane Abbott. I'm talking about the Labour MP who just... But, got but even still, you're still, you're still saying that it's, it's indefensible. She made an inaccurate comment and failed to present her argument cogently. No, that okay. is what she did. Look, we've got to leave it there, but the truth is... I don't think she stumbled or misspoke. She wrote a letter to a newspaper 
with quite deliberate phraseology, and then all hell broke loose, and now she's trying to lie her way out of it. And that, I'm afraid, is almost as shameful as what she originally wrote. Anyway, got to leave it there. Tommy Wall, thank you very much indeed. Who would have thought a column could spark this kind of thing, right? Quite amazing. Hmm. Uh, Iman, thank you, and Chris Williamson, thank you. Well, on censored next, should actors be able to play characters of a different race, sexuality, or physical ability? Isn't that, after all, what acting is all about? We'll be discussing the huge backlash to Netflix casting a non-Egyptian woman as Cleopatra next. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Sense. It's a big budget Netflix series on Cleopatra has been hit with claims of cultural vandalism over the casting of black actress Adele James in the lead role. Well, Cleopatra's precise heritage is a point of scholarly debate. There's no evidence that she was black and the casting has caused major controversy in Egypt, spurring a lawsuit and claims the program makers are erasing Egyptian identity. It's not the first casting controversy we've seen, of course, though the backlash is normally the other way around. Brian Cranston was lambasted for playing a disabled character in The Upside, as was Jake Gyllenhaal, who starred in The Prince of Persia, despite not being Persian or a prince. And, of course, Eddie Redmayne, who issued a grovelling apology for playing a trans woman in The Danish Girl. So is casting Cleopatra as a black woman culturally insensitive? Should we care? Isn't the job of an actor, after all, to act? Well, joining me now is legendary Egyptian comedian Bassem Youssef and author of The Case for Cancel Culture, Ernest Owens. Well, welcome to both of you. OK, let me start with you, um, Ernest Owens. Off you go. Yeah, um, I think that this is ridiculous. I think that she um, is in full range to play Cleopatra. I think people should remember that there was controversy when the late, great Elizabeth Taylor played Cleopatra, and people thought that it was inaccurate for a white woman like her to play the character. Um, history has said that there is some racial ambiguity around um, Cleopatra's identity. She's definitely not white. And I think to even assume that Egyptians do not carry some level of African ancestry that can have a darker skin complexion is also historically inaccurate. So I think she's more of the ideal of what Cleopatra would look like more than Elizabeth Taylor would be. And you didn't see as much backlash for Elizabeth Taylor playing okay. Cleopatra. Yeah, that's a, to that. that's a fair point. So let me go to you, Bess. I mean, that is a fair point. Liz, Liz Taylor was the biggest movie star in the world at the time she played Cleopatra. She was not Egyptian. What's the difference? Well, first of all, this was Hollywood before it was informed. This is where 1961, when Cleopatra by Elizabeth Taylor, we're not crazy about Elizabeth Taylor playing Cleopatra either. That was also inaccurate. I don't know where do you get the idea that we're happy that she played the role. As a matter of fact, 1961 Cleopatra movie was banned in, 19, in Egypt and many Arab countries because of Elizabeth Taylor's stance towards the, the state of Israel because they supported them. So I don't know where does he kind of get this information. Second of all, this is the same Hollywood that in 1956 they cast John Wayne at Junkies Khan. So this is a time where Hollywood didn't know any better. Now, the problem for me, it's not about color. It's not about white and black. This is a very reductive way to talk about things. This is the way that Americans talk about it. I'm very sorry. Like, I come from Egypt. Egypt has a very diverse color palette. People can look like me or they can look deeper 
skin tone like Anwar Sadat who comes from a Nubian origin. It's not about black and white. It's about the continuous culture falsi uh, appropriation and falsification of history that has been done by what the so-called Afrocentrist movement. The Afrocentric movement started the last century as a way in a good intention to teach African-American about their rich history of West Africa, the great empire of Benin, of Ghana, um, of uh, Songali, uh, the great empire of Mali. But the thing is, that's why you find people like Kevin Hart, who subscribes to these theories, who claim that his ancestors play, uh, build the pyramids. I'm sorry, your ancestors had their own wonderful civilization in West Africa. They are culture appropriating my culture, calling the people of Egypt of today, despite their skin tone, that we, they call us as invaders, they, we call, okay, uh, they call me, us as right. intruders, and, and, and they are being erased by, from our own history. Okay, this is something that understand, Hollywood has done over I, the years. Understand, but Go let ahead. me throw this back at you. This, this point that we've had so many cases now where people talk about appropriation with actors, be it their sexuality, be it their gender on occasion, be it whatever it may be. Um, and ultimately, I always come back to one point, which is shouldn't actors do what their job description is, act? I mean, shouldn't any actor be able to play any part, actually? And it, once you start making exceptions for that rule, where do you stop? Is, is that question for me? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, this is not a work of fiction. This is a documentary. This is a documentary. There is a huge difference. This is not the Little Mermaid, which is like a fictional character where you can anybody can play anything. The, uh, uh, Cleopatra came from a Macedonian Greek origin, and the thing is, it's not about like the skin color. As I don't, we don't care about if they're black or white. It's about it's about how Hollywood is so culturally sensitive, and they're so sensitive about all kind of of minorities. But when it comes to my people, we seem to be erased. A couple of years ago, they announced that Gal Gadot, an ex-Israeli soldier who condones her government actions and atrocities against uh, Palestinian children, she was going to play Cleopatra. For me, this is even a bigger insult. And Gal Gadot is not black. It's not about black and white. It's about this idea of, of Hollywood always stealing the culture of my own people. I don't care what Charleston Histon tells you in the Ten Commandments or Steven Spielberg tells you in The Prince of Egypt, but I am sorry, Jewish slaves did not build the Great Pyramid. This has been debunked many times by okay. historians. Let me so the thing is, like, we are the only people who are not allowed to tell our own... We are the only people who are not allowed to talk about our own history. All right, let and me bring, Hollywood all right. is doing let, it let for me, us. Okay. I hang on, hang on, Ernest. Let me ask you a question, Ernest. Which is, sure. how would you feel if a white actor was chosen to play Nelson Mandela? I think that there is historical inaccuracies there. I think that, you know, I think what he's confusing is race and nationality. And I also think that that is why you don't see as many black actors upset at Cynthia Revo, who is British, who played, you know, Harriet, because we understand the nuances of racial identity compared to nationality versus um, the identity of the African diaspora. So no one's upset about the fact that David Onyalu played MLK. Um, there may be some people, but others didn't because we understood the nuance of racial identity. So when we're talking about race and nationality, those are two different things. But I think the issue that that I want to push back on what he said earlier is that there are other actors in this film that are playing Egyptians that do not look like Cleopatra or come from there. And I just feel like the energy being focused on Cleopatra is why some people are pushing back because this actress could easily look by identity looks closer to what Cleopatra could look like. But the rest of that cast 
is fairly white and you're not saying anything about those individuals you're only focused on cleopatra who's being played by this back black actress but when you look at the other cast i don't think they're all egyptian i don't think they all represent the cast all right let me so I all think right let me bring double in standard okay let me bring back basem i mean if this was in a theater production i could imagine this happening Absolutely. without people creating much of a fuss is it because it's a Hollywood movie and Hollywood's put itself in the vanguard no, of it's a, cultural it's appropriation? About, it, 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 it's a documentary. Hollywood has been erasing my people from the... We have, are not allowed to tell our own history. And I'm sorry, I have to disagree with the gentleman. It's not about... It's, it, every, it's not just Cleopatra. Everybody in that movie, her court, everybody who's supposed to be Egyptian, they look like they came from West Africa, from the south of the Sahara. We, as Egyptians, are being called intruders and invaders in our own culture. This has been going on systematically. I don't want to wake up one day and find the Museum of the African-American Culture and History claiming the stolen Egyptian artifacts in the in the British Museum to be theirs and, uh, and now I'm hearing that Zendaya the, the very popular actor who I would her, love her to play any but the, Zendaya ethnically is is half Nigerian half German and now she's gonna play where are the where are the Egyptian actors where are okay. the where are the Arab actors who supposed and the thing is the, even like historically wise you see in the in, in the in the trailer it's like I don't care what what you what they told you but Cleopatra was black who's that woman why is african-american people are telling my own history she is there there's all of these pseudo science and pseudo history has been going on and it has implications no i am sorry african people from west africa did not build the pyramids okay cleopatra did not like like that and if also jewish people do not build the pyramids okay it is time for hollywood to listen to the people who own that history so well, you made that and just made one, that. One, 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 one more thing i'm gonna leave it one more thing Egypt, Egypt, Egypt had 30 dynasty over 2,700 years. We had kings and queens from the kingdom of Kush, the, from Nubia, from Libya. This area had, had bled into each other and expanded and shrunk into each other. I understand exactly what I mean when I say nationality okay. or heritage or ethnicity. You both, so made, sorry, your, like, you both uh, made your points yeah, strongly. Thank you. It's an interesting debate. Thank you both very much indeed. Well, on Sense of Next, it's been you. a weekend of chaos and confusion over Twitter's blue ticks. I'll reveal what Elon Musk said to me about mine next. To Piers Morgan, I sense that Elon Musk's Twitter has removed blue verified ticks for accounts previously deemed notable in an attempt to persuade famous and professional users to pay. Well, the move triggered outpourings of self pity from many celebrities this weekend. It was actually quite nauseating, as well as considerable confusion as many blue ticks then reappeared, apparently at Musk's personal whim. We're joining me now is Seth Dillon, the founder of satirical site Babylon B, which is a favourite of Elon Musk's. I'm a talk TV contributor Esther Cracker, associate editor of Daily Mirror, Kevin Maguire, and talk TV presenter Nicola Thorpe. Let's do a quick rundown. Who's who's got a blue tick? Have you paid for it? I have. Yeah. You paid individually. Yes. And you did too. I had one for years, and then it disappeared, and I paid to have it back. Kevin, I've got one, but I've not paid for it. So we checked this out just now. It looks like your company, the Daily Mirror, my old paper, may have bought a company account, and you've got one as an affiliate. So I'm like an agricultural labourer with a tied cottage. Yes. If I leave the mirror, I lose <laughs> exactly. my blue tick. Uh, yeah. And Seth, yeah. Seth Dillon, let yeah. me ask you: Do you have a blue tick, and have you paid for it? I do. I had the legacy one, and now I pay for it. So. My my situation was that I uh, I've got about 8.4 million 
followers. I was curious, what would Elon do with people who've got really big follower counts? Because clearly we have a bit of bang for the buck on, on Twitter. And the truth was we all got the ticks taken away. And then mysteriously yesterday, we woke up and found that everyone with, I think, over a million followers had had their blue ticks restored, whether you paid or not. Now, I was quite happy to pay, but I haven't paid as things stand, but I've got my tick back. So what, what's really going on here? Did Elon just not get the kind of take-up from people with blue ticks he was hoping for, or is he just chucking stuff at the wall? What's going on? It's a really good question. There's a lot of there's a lot of chaos and confusion. I mean, I wish I understood it. Honestly, I I don't really understand why we're charging for verification. I do think there were problems with the verification system before. Uh, they were kind of handed out on favors. They were handed out. There were there were people who should have had them who didn't get them. Um, so there were things that could have been fixed about that system. But abolishing it and charging people for it, I just I personally don't know what the value is to a, to a regular user who subscribes to get the blue check. When it when anyone can subscribe to get it, what value does it really have? I mean, it conveys that you're not a bot, I guess, because you are willing to pay for something. You put a credit card down, but doesn't the substance of your tweets convey that you're not a bot? Well, it Can't does, but actually, that, I, I'm say? not sure about that. I think that when you when you saw them all stripped away from high profile people, it was quite hard to know if they were the real one unless you buried yourself into their feed. So I think it's yeah, the immediate it's a... identification of people who are who you think they are, and there are lots of scammers out there. As we know, well, that was what I was struck by was that Elon system. actually direct messaged me personally because I raised a particular issue, which is quite a few of the big phone operators in the UK are not supported by Twitter Blue. So you couldn't actually register to pay because they weren't supporting your phone provider. So he wasn't aware of this and he replied to me, we're looking into this. Then he said that he thinks they fixed it. But before I could then go through and test that, my blue tick came back, which I think <laughs> means that there's, there's a balance, isn't there? Because... When I see these famous people whining about it, paying $8 a month, it is pathetic. And also, I think they, they really do think they're the ones doing Elon Musk a big favour and the rest of us by being on the platform. When all of us, whoever we are in the public eye, we all get an enormous amount of value from Twitter. It goes both ways. I mean, look at YouTube's model. YouTube's model is they share revenue with creators who are bringing value to the platform. And that makes a lot of sense. It means everybody wins because YouTube is is bringing in the best talent and the best talent is making money and getting rich on YouTube. Nobody's really making any money on Twitter. I mean, you can drive traffic to your website, but you're not monetizing on the platform. And so Musk has talked about finding ways to do that, but he really seems to be looking at generating revenue off these subscriptions rather than sharing revenue with content creators. I, I do think that there is, a, there is a place for him to be rewarding those talented people who are bringing who are engaging and are bringing a lot of people onto the site and keeping them on the site, making Twitter sticky. Those are the people that you want to be monetized and happy on your platform and sticking around no matter what silly mistakes you make or what you do, because it's just too valuable to leave it. Right. Let's come to the panel. I mean, Esther, the problem Elon Musk has got, he's paid 40-odd billion mm. for Twitter. And, and he said already his, the value is probably halved. Mm. So he's, you know, he's got rid of thousands of staff. He's trying different ways of monetizing it. But he's got to make it pay. Well, Otherwise, there won't be a Twitter. Well, yeah, he has to he has to make it count. I think one of the things he tries... He's why should it be free? I mean, why should... Why, why is the grasping expectation of the world now that everything has to be free? Especially because a lot of people actually spend hours on Twitter. So, really, yeah. you should pay for it. Getting great content for exactly. free, mm. but also being able, in my case, to promote columns, to promote TV shows, with all the residual financial benefit that comes from it, promoting books. Yep. 
you know, I just think it's, it's a absolutely a two-way street. And for eight, $8 a month? I yeah, mean, it's, it's a bargain, yeah. Yeah, but he'd be making money out of you because you'll bring so many pairs of eyes, he can then sell out. So it's a two-way street, but why, yeah. should, why shouldn't I pay? Well, you can pay if you like, uh, but, but maybe people, the, others can't afford $8. But it's also a balance, right? Because Why? back in the day, people used to complain that Twitter was too vanilla because it, it just depended on, you know, ad revenue and mm. sponsorship. But now it depends on the users who are actually paying to get their blue ticks and be verified yeah. and ads as well. Yeah. So you can have right. a balance of the blue ticks. Nicola, what do you do? I think it's me. so important that we have a proper verification right. process. The reason I paid for... Mm. Well, I had a legacy account and was verified. As a women's rights campaigner, I had a lot of survivors come forward, whistleblowers come mm. forward. Mm. They needed to know that I was who I say I am. Um, so whatever happens going forward, I agree, I think it probably could be quite useful to have some people paying for Twitter. But aside from that, we need a proper, robust verification system. I was impressed that he contacted me directly. Yeah. I don't know him. Oh. Yeah, I don't, I've he, never had any dealing with it, but all... he directed me. We're, we're, we're quite an exchange about this particular issue. Obviously, I then asked for an interview. And didn't get a no. So, um, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I think he's trying everything. I do think Musk is one of those guys, as with SpaceX and as with Tesla and others, Early on, he had a lot of teething problems, but boy, did they come! But this was mad. This was a mad idea. And out of four hundred thousand people who were ver had verified legacy accounts, only five hundred, including yeah. myself, yeah. actually but, paid for it as a result. Piers, I hope you get your interview. But it's also yeah. him contacting you shows he's he's running it in a very confused way without a clear strategy. Or he has a very or he has a very very sharp, places. inquisitive mind about how to resolve it. Seth, before I let you go. Do you think, if you were a betting man, would you bet on Elon Musk still owning Twitter in a calendar year? Yeah, I think he'll still own it. I, I'm not exactly sure who's going to buy it off of him. Um, <laughs> it, it all depends on what he ends up doing with it and whether he adds value. I think that he's he's gotten it to a place where he said it's basically cash flow uh, net even, like mm. it's breaking even at this point, which is a huge improvement over what it used to be. He laid off a lot of people, and he can still run the platform. In that sense, he's he's running it better than it was run before. It's certainly a lot leaner than it was run before. I don't understand paying. Like, I, I get what you're saying about paying for the service. A lot of people... I, I would argue that we bring a lot of value to the service, so we're bringing something there already because we have a huge following and a lot of people who engage with us. But a lot of people who are using that platform, it makes sense for them to pay for it maybe, but why for verification? They're, right. not even, they're not even putting up an ID when they get verified. I'm not even sure what the verification badge means right now. Mm. The whole thing is kind of convoluted and confusing. But what Musk is doing is hysterical the way he's trolling these people. It's all entertaining. Well, no the matter best what you think about it, it's King. very entertaining. So Stephen King was, was trying to score points by saying, you know, I, I don't uh, want this money because he gave him a free blue tick. I don't want your yeah. largesse. You know, I want you to donate money to Ukraine. And Elon Musk responded by saying he's donated $100 million to Ukraine. <laughs> uh, that is a bit of a slam dunk. A slam yeah, dunk bit of trolling yeah. right there. Um, Seth, good to talk to you again. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, well, on to the next, Harry and Meghan. Oh, God. They spent the last three years creating a circus through interviews, an exhausting circus, uh, through books, TV series and so on. But according to them, it's the British media, once again, that's to blame. It's us that is on our own creating the exhausting circus, not them with their antics. We'll debate that after the break.
Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Harry and Meghan blame the media again, of course, for creating an exhausting circus by dwelling on past events. You've got to laugh, haven't you? The brass neck of it. They were responding to an article published in the Telegraph over the weekend which said the Duchess of Sussex didn't feel she received a satisfactory response to her concerns about unconscious bias in the royal family in the letters of the king. That's the same unconscious bias which Harry now says was never intended to mean racism. God forbid. In response, Team Sussex said, Meghan is going about her life in the present. Any suggestion otherwise is false and frankly ridiculous. And they encouraged tabloid media to stop exhausting, stop exhausting circus that they alone, they alone are creating. Well, I'm back with Esther, Kevin and Nicola. Uh, Nicola, let's start with you on this one. Yeah. Apparently it's the media creating the exhausting circus surrounding the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Your Absolutely. thoughts? I would agree with that. Oh, please. I would agree with it wholeheartedly. In this case, this was a letter that was written... Did we go on Oprah? Did Piers. we do a six-part Netflix Piers. series? It's... Did we do a 420-page wine-a-thon kiss-and-tell no, book? Not at all. Did we go on James Corden on an open-top bus around Hollywood while bleating about privacy? Did we do any of these things? But that was Did them. we trash our families? That was them Did we trash the monarchy? Their side of their story, a story that had been told by the tabloid media on their behalf, not necessarily with their consent, mm. for many, many years. It's disingenuous of you, Piers, to say that we don't, in the media, create a circus around this. A lot of our jobs depend on it. Esther, it's all I, you are I, for. I, I, well, I, I, think, I don't think it's fair for them to create all the circus with the Netflix deals and all of that and then feel like now is the time that they get to switch it off, right? It's, yeah. That is how it works. If you, if you choose to do this, if you choose to invade your own privacy and many other people's privacy in this way, you cannot then turn around and tell them, actually, now it's enough. Now it's enough, we have to move on. They but they're not just saying on their own side, they're saying I'm, it for I'm the, not, on not, the behalf of the king as well. I'm not saying they're necessarily wrong. If this is old news. It's just what I loved about the but original... you can't turn it off. But the original story was so great that Meghan Markle was, was unhappy with the response from a man who's about to be king of this country, ground. I mean, for God's sake, who do you think you are? Um, Kevin, I'm going to spare you any royal jam, all right? <laughs> I want to talk to you about this. This is Rishi Sunak and, and his... Well, I'm not quite, quite sure what you call it other than something Kim Jong-un would be proud of. This is him just travelling around Whitehall with a bunch of police on bicycles. <laughs> Let's just watch a bit of this. <laughs> they're running, they're cycling. This reminds me when the Secret Service ran by Trump, do you remember? And then Kim Jong-un had this kind of thing. And then somewhere in the middle of it all was a little car with Rishi Sunak in it. Is he getting delusions of grandeur here, Kevin? Uh, Rishi Jong-un was, was worried <laughs> was worried that Extinction Rebellion protesters were going to jump out and stop his car. There's which the split is screen. Why, yeah, that's, why they do. That's, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's Kim Jong-un oh, on yeah. the left. Yeah. And on the right, just a, a bunch of... Yeah, at least he had cyclists. <laughs> it was so weird. But I, I, I admire the fitness of some of those metropolitan police officers. Yeah. They didn't yeah, have to run far. Look, no, no, the thing yeah. is, <laughs> even, even... Why not just have the normal motorbike outriders? It's I, I the epitome of small man problem. syndrome. Yeah. He's a short bloke. Yeah. He has yeah. to make up for it. Listen, now you're being, you see, I'm very, I'm very disappointed you're being so sizeless. Oh, OK. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> really, picking on someone because of their height is very unlike you, Nicola, <laughs> given right. just how much virtue you have signalled over the years. Um... Do you yeah. mentioned Extinction Rebellion. I can't let this go. This is absolutely hilarious. So you remember I said on Thursday what a bunch of frauds they all are and how they never practice what they preach, these people. So <laughs> the Sun revealed that Gail Bradbrook, one of the leading Extinction Rebellion uh, drivers, that she drives a diesel car and buys imported food wrapped in non-recyclable packaging. There she is, caught in the supermarket, disobeying Waitrose, I was in there myself today, uh, disobeying every rule that she lectures the rest of us about. 
Esther? Well, it's to be expected. But this is the thing, though. Most Extinction Rebellion act or eco-activists tend to be actually from very privileged backgrounds. I mean, the guy that um, invaded that snooker tournament, yeah. he, he apparently grew up in a very lavish part of Cambridge and, you know, went to private school. It's not surprising. Kevin, that's that's she, how they have the time to Some of the fruits she had was flown 17,500 miles <laughs> before she got into a diesel car. I, I can't, I can't. Any defence? Very little. Nicola, very little. given you're oh, now the hey. chief defender of the defence, yeah, yeah. great chance to defend this. Uh, given the society we live in, I think it would be impossible for her to live a life that wasn't in some way hypocritical. So rules for me, but not for thee. Well, she's trying to make, I suppose... I, I, it's not a good look. I'm no. totally with you. Not a good that. look. It's <laughs> brazen, <laughs> flaming hypocrisy. But she doesn't decide where wait Waitrose source their fruit and veg. Where she going? Right. Great to have you make yeah. your debut on Piers Morgan. Thank you. Come back. Last time didn't end so well between you and I. So I think we're, <laughs> we're making progress. Kevin, Esther, good to see you both. That's it from me. Whatever you're up to, keep it uncensored. Good night.